0: Hello, imposters, and welcome back to another episode of the You're Not Qualified podcast. We are solidly in fall. I don't even know if we've actually officially hit the change of the season, the specific date, I should look that up, but it feels like it, and that's all that matters, and I love this time of year. It's a really exciting time of year. We'll get into that in just a little bit. But I am Courtney Heater. I'm your host. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for coming back. If you have listened to other episodes before, I'm stoked to have you. If you love being here and you love listening to this, please share, share, share. You can share one of those smaller episodes that come out at the last Tuesday of every month. There's two out now. Please go and share those. If you feel called to do so because they are shorter, we all know that I like to jab And they are also very bite-sized because it gives a little glimpse into a guest and their experience navigating the world of imposter syndrome. And then we also read an email from one of you or two. And it's exciting because we like to unpack it and then get down to what makes people tick, which is a really fun thing to talk about. Speaking of what makes people tick, today we are talking with a former co-worker of mine, and I'd like to say now a friend, Richard Dyer. I told him, probably will embarrass him telling you guys this, but I told him after we stopped recording that I really like his brain. I think that the way that he thinks about things is fascinating. You cannot take my brain, please.
1: What would I want with your brain?
0: That was me too, Richard. Probably. Because it, Might just be that creepy, but I mean it. He is brilliant. He's such a joy to talk to. He's very exciting to talk to. I don't know if I know a whole lot of people that make me think as much as he does, but in a really good way. And I appreciate knowing him. I really hope that you all have similar sentiments when you listen to the advice that he gives. His story is really inspiring. His story is not the norm for what we see. I have interviewed a few people that have journeyed into product. He comes from a background that is far different than even tech industry work, so really excited to get into that and have him share more about that. It's just so interesting how he pivoted, navigated everything, and is where he is today. So. I'm excited about it, but getting back to fall also, it is so nice and crisp, but this month marks a year of this podcast being alive. It was a glimmer in my eye about, I don't know, a year before I started it, actually sat down and did something about it. It has actually been in the world, in your ears for just about a year the first episode that introduced you to the podcast came out on October 18th and then the first official interview podcast was out November 10th but you guys knew about it on the 18th that's really exciting and if you didn't know about it on the 18th I'm so happy that you know about it let me know what you think I can be reached at ynqpod at gmail.com. Everything else will be linked in the show notes. I'm not going to bore you that here because we have more important things to do. What took you so long? Let's go talk to Richard. Let's go. So today we're welcoming Richard Dyer to the You're Not Qualified podcast. Uh, Richard and I go kind of way back, uh, back in the the startup days. (laughs) but he is here to talk about his role uh, in product, basically his career in product and the background that he has, which has nothing to do with product, <laughs> which accurate. is exactly why we have this podcast because he's killing it. So Richard, welcome, thank you for being here.
1: Thank you, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: Yes, absolutely. So you you build pet technology products right now in your current career. Uh, as a product manager in pet tech, which is booming. (laughs) It's a booming industry. (laughs) It it really is. (laughs) (laughs) That is, uh, it's far from your background though, which itself is very extensive. So tell us about your background and why you're unqualified to be doing what you're doing. I think a whole mine like popped up says your internet is unstable. And I'm like, who is Uh. it?
1: Okay. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's twenty twenty two. Calm down, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: So, why are you unqualified to be in pet tech as a product manager?
1: Yeah. Totally. I. You know. I, I. always think about this. Like, no one is really qualified to do what they do. We all have just convinced ourselves we we can make we can make do. Uh, you know, my background. I studied cognitive studies and Latin American studies. I've just been fascinated by why people the way, think the way they think. Why how culture society influences them to make decisions. And, you know, it was interesting. I took a computer science class on a whim when I was in college. And that was it. It was a minor elective for my cognitive studies major. And it has been my lifeline when I talk about how did I get into the product? they are like, oh, do you have any coding experience? And I'm like, well, my freshman year, <laughs> like, let me tell you about CS 101. Loved it, did not pursue. But, you know, it, it kind of piqued this interest in what technology could do, but I never actually pursued it. I just was curious. I always like, kept an eye on what was going on. And I ended up working in consulting for a bit after that and was focused on products, but very much consumer products like CPG, Hershey's Twizzlers, uh, Best Buy Geek Squad, Playtex Gentle Glide Tampons. They were very different, unique, a wide variety of products we were working with, but they were not technology products. They had nothing to do with technology at that point. And so that was kind of my first exposure to what what is a product and what does a product manager do? And I still didn't really get it. <laughs> and, uh, mm-hmm. and I started to be, become really interested also in the legal side of things. And so I actually ended up going to law school. I took some advice from, honestly, some old, old, older individuals who, uh, who kind of were at the tail end of their career. And they were like, you know what I was missing? A law degree. That would have really solved things. And, you know, I was always fascinated about how the law worked. And I found myself a year into law school hating that. <laughs> Just <laughs> absolutely was like, what have I done? I I the people around me don't always seem the happiest. And I want people who are like passionate about their work, but in a way where they're excited about what they can accomplish, not kind of just constantly burnt out. And so I started to see that, hey, I think my out was going to be getting back into the business world, but trying to do things in a way where I could harness the skill set that I was kind of learning. I I couldn't walk away from law school because I felt like I'd invested so much time. And so I just tried to accelerate my time there and get out, take the bar and go and You know, and then all of a sudden I was like, no, I should have trusted my gut all along. Like, this was not for me. And so I taught myself SQL because I was like, I would sit Mm -hmm. at like 10 p.m. at night and I would literally pour myself like a glass of whiskey and connect my Mm -hmm. computer to my TV. And I was like, "Okay, I'm going to teach myself how to like build a shopping list and just figure out how to create that data table. And those like really early SQL intros like this was, gosh, early 2010s. And so I feel like it wasn't, there weren't a ton of these courses out there, but I was really curious because I knew like SPSS from consulting, which was this at that time, you know, cutting edge, but no, it was archaic at this point. And it was not, I had my one CS course, but I was like, what am I going to do? And I started teaching myself SQL because I thought, well, maybe I can parlay this law degree into an analytics career because I'd worked as an analyst, but not again, like it was a very different type of analyst, qualitative focus groups. What are consumer needs states? Why do, why do people think the way they think? Really, it was, it was all about, there was no data technology. There was no backbone in terms of like, how could you measure it? A lot of it was feel, and that's so important. And I think that's always stuck with me, but I started to say, hey, how do you put some framing around ambiguity? And that it led me to analytics. And uh, I got, I honestly feel like I got very lucky. I talked to someone and I went to a conference and I was like, hey, I have a very strange background. <laughs> I heard one thing you were saying, and I want to talk to you a little bit more about it because I think I can pitch myself and tell you that I can do what you are looking for for a fifth of a price. I just graduated law school. I had no idea what I wanted to do. And I went to like this tech talk and I just went up to this guy and just pitched myself because I was like, hey, I don't, I think I'm gonna hate my, my life if I don't <laughs> try something. Yeah. And so I was kind of at this point of like, oh gosh, I didn't want any of the things I was qualified to do. And so I was like, I'm gonna have to just try something. And, you know, we started talking and he was like, what makes you think you could do this? And I was like, well, I don't, but I think I can learn. And I think I can work and I'll work really hard and it's probably gonna take me longer, but it's not gonna take me five times longer and I'm charging you a fifth of what you'll probably get charged. And they were like, okay let's try this. And it started out, they just started asking me random problems they had. And I became like this internal consultant and some of them were legal, but some of them weren't. And I started to be like, huh, this is really interesting. But I hated that too, because there was no stability. There wasn't like structure. It was like problem, 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 but there was no consistency, cohesion. I never got to see anything through. And so I tried tried to go in house somewhere and it took a long time. It took me probably a year and a half to actually find somewhere that could see, Hey, this person can actually do what he's saying he can in terms of analytical skill sets with that background of a law degree and a cognitive studies and Latin American studies background. And finally, someone, you know, it was so many interviews, so many interviews, and I was so disheartened. And I was like, you know, I've never worked truly with SQL tables. I still remember one time I referred to it as SQL. Yeah. To the point where they said SQL. And I was like, I'm sorry, do you mean SQL? And because I truly learned everything myself, I had like Uh no, I had no professional experience. I mean, why would it be
0: called SQL? It seems like an acronym. Oh, it is an acronym. It is,
1: and people say SQL, but like it was, I think it was like a dead sign that oh, he has no professional experience doing this because like I didn't understand that those were the same thing. Oh yeah. (laughs) I was like oh yeah shoot oops, (laughs) Oops. (laughs) and it was like I remember that stuck with me for so long, and I felt like this imposter getting these roles, and then all of a sudden someone was like hey you have a really weird background. We have this role in analytics that's like legal, but analytical and it was in e-commerce for Zulily. And I was like, huh, okay. And I took that and then I just started saying yes to stuff. Cause I was intrigued. They were like, does anyone want to work on our rewards program? And I was like, sure, I like <laughs> how people think. And that truly is, and my boss there left for Rover and that's how I made it there. Oh. And I don't think I was qualified necessarily for the role that they brought me on at Rover but someone had worked with me, knew I said yes to a lot and could kind of ramp quickly. And that, honestly, I think is how it worked. <laughs> and, and I mean, I was even told at one point, I was like, hey, I don't know if you you were the second choice for the role at one point. Like, that was told to me, like, you know, that you just have these crazy moments where you're like, yeah. am I qualified to do this? But then all of a sudden you get in it and you're like, am I adding value? Well, maybe, hopefully. And then all of a sudden, you know, three years have gone by and you, you probably are. But it just, I think it happens so quickly and it that that my background never was like, hey, here's your path, the path that my background led me to sucks in my mind. And then that's a really privileged thing to say, right. To be able to look around and say, Hey, I'm not going to go pursue what my law degree set me up to do necessarily. I'm going to try to take that risk. But I also kind of looked at it. Like, I don't know how I wouldn't in -hmm. terms of trying to be happy and just satisfied with my life professionally, personally. And it just kind of felt like I didn't have another option, which, Mm -hmm. you know, doesn't, doesn't sound, compelling or enticing, but you just kind of, you go with that and you start to say, Hey, what is getting me excited? And I realized, you know, I missed really interesting, complex challenges where you could move quickly. The pace was a major issue for me. I just wanted, my brain moves fast. I I had ADD since I was 10 and it is rampant. And, you know, my brain is a pinball. And so the pace in certain things like, and I realized that that was there in technology and, and in product, you're actually going very slow, but things are happening at such rapid pace around you that it kind of scratches both of those itches and you know they're really ambiguous. And so I just started to, you know, I wasn't in product even when I went into Rover. I joined as an in yeah, the, on the that. analyst team. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah a very ambiguous analytics team, right? Like yeah. no one really knew what we did.
0: <laughs> I didn't. I was like, who are they?
1: <laughs> I, I was on the team and I barely knew yeah. what it.
0: yeah, But you would be just like randomly the in the in the room for some things. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, okay.
1: <laughs> yeah, totally. I think we are, our, our team was like market operations. We were just trying to figure out what was happening in all the markets. And all of a sudden, you know, we had someone new join the team and they were like, this is an analytics team. And we were like, huh, I guess so. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. Great. It, you think that'll help communicate what we do better? And it was like, yeah. And I was like, okay, let's do that. And it, <laughs> It just kind of like, I don't know, it was, it was funny. It all of a sudden just ballooned into realizing that we were providing a lot of insights on products. And then that was a key part of the product process. And then, I don't know, just by naturally, it kind of evolved to realize that that was where the interesting things were for me. So
0: yeah, two things really stick out for me there. One, Richard, it sounds absolutely miserable to go take the bar if you don't <laughs> want to actually practice law. That's so much yeah. work. Yeah. Not
1: no, to yell was, at you, I'm yelling. No, it, no <laughs> you're spot on. And I look back and think, watch, why, why did I do that? Oh my God. And I think I was just so afraid that I didn't actually know what I wanted to do. And I was just kind of, you know, the grass is always greener and that I was yeah. going to get into something else and realize that I walked away from this thing that I never really gave a chance. Uh-huh. So I felt like I had to have this, like maybe it's the anxious, the constant anxiety in me that I had to have a backup plan, right? And that's a wildly tough, backup plan to take on (laughs) in my head. But I, but I went into it like that. And in some ways it took the pressure off because I said, Hey, if I don't pass, I don't pass. And we'll see if I try to take it again. But I think that could be a sign in and of itself. And so like what it was wildly stressful at anyone taking the bar, I'm sorry. Good luck. (laughs) I I left and I just remember sobbing in my car because I was so tired just from the, the experience in and of itself. But I felt God. like I had to give myself a backup plan of like I just yeah. didn't know what I wanted to do and I hadn't found something mm-hmm. that made me really happy yet. And so I wanted to keep the doors open and you know, that anxious but somehow ambitious, like that weird dichotomy of those two things that I think exist in a lot of people, I think kept me kept me kinda of going. But it was a lot of it was a lot out of, of fear <laughs> of what oh. would happen if I failed. So
0: Man, what a place to place to live. But right. you're here you now. <laughs> you're you're much happier doing what you're doing, and that's great. Um, and the the, the sequel point too is really interesting to me because I credit learning SQL being forced to learn SQL at Rover, which is now something that I'm very thankful for. But at the time I was like, What the? <laughs> but yeah, it's like too. now that's why I am where I am, a big reason. And I tell people if they come to me and they're like, I want to. Segue into product, what do you recommend I do? I'm like, first and foremost, learn SQL. Learn yes. SQL. Yes. Number
1: one thing I get I give advice on. And don't call it I SQL. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. exactly. And learn how they talk about it, you know. <laughs> Just, <laughs> teach yourself.
0: Exactly. Because so, yeah, you want to you want to also present it well. But the <laughs> it's like it's so important. And I really didn't realize that at the time, but I'm glad that I did, you know, like force yeah. my way through it. And now I'm like pretty intermediate and I'd love to be advanced. So working on it, but it's not easy, but it also leads to It's also a lifelong, also so a lifelong
1: battle. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's like you, you're never, I don't think anyone's done learning and in, in that space. And I think there's always so much more you can learn. So you just keep trying and it'll never be perfect. You know, that's where you just figure out what you, where you need to ask for help. So that's how I look at it at least. So
0: Yeah. That's a great way to look at it. Uh, so you did, you did mention that, you know, at least at Rover, somebody was like, you were the second choice for this role. So you were, <laughs> you're being told you're unqualified for these positions. Yep. What, I mean, what the hell, but also yeah. what was the reasoning behind that? Did people tell you why they felt that way?
1: You know, I never found out why I kind of said, well, feel pretty lucky that I got here. Then is I kind of how I looked at it and at that time. I think it kind of shook me too, though, because it mm. kind of made me kind of lit lit a fire underneath me that said, "Hey, you got to prove yourself because your background doesn't match here. And if you don't drive value and you're not actually pulling your weight here, like there was, again, it's like maybe this undercurrent of fear that I'm just just now picking up on This is quite therapeutic, Cornelia. Yeah. But uh, that maybe, maybe this could
0: become therapy, yeah.
1: Yeah, right, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> just start charging. But um, no, it's... That, that kind of, whether or not I, I was aware of how much I internalized that, I think I felt like I had something to prove. I felt like I wanted to be able to say, well, yeah, well, I, I, I don't think I'm the first choice necessarily, but if I'm the second choice, great. I can still pull my weight. I can do what I was brought in to do. I can do things in a new way. And like, I have a skill set that's valuable. And I think I never lost sight of that. But that was very hard when you're being told, hey, this isn't quite who we wanted. Um,
0: Yeah. That would, I mean, instead of lighting a fire under me, I would probably cry and then maybe it would light a fire, but I'd be like, I don't (laughs) belong here. (laughs) But another big reason I started this podcast is because like, I didn't really feel that way. So I I know that other people don't and you shouldn't have to feel like you don't belong. So it's always important to find the niche and understand that you're worthy of where you're at and we all work our asses off. So
1: Oh, totally. Right. Well, and it, it's, it's so funny because people I always like, well, how'd you learn SQL? And I'm like, well, I love languages. Like, that's why I love Latin American studies. It was like, how do you communicate? And to me, once I kind of realized, well, I just need to figure out what question I'm asking and how do I say that in, using SQL? How do I say that using a coding language? I thought that a lot of the curiosity that I had about why things worked the way they worked, I just had to figure out how to write that in the new language. And it wasn't in Portuguese, it wasn't Spanish, but it was actually like a coding language that could uncover new things. And like, it gave me an answer And it wasn't a human giving me that answer, but it was just like, hey, I gotta speak the language to understand how to actually learn here. And like, once I realized that, like, I think it changed a lot of how I thought of what could make someone qualified to do these types of roles. It was kind of just like, oh, aptitude for new skills, the ability to pattern match, right? There are all these key characteristics that I think so many people don't think about when they think about what makes really clutch product people and what makes one really able to kind of sift through everything and realize, here's the things we should focus on yeah. I mean, understanding how the backend works helpful, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's not, I, it's not the key to, I think, insight in a lot of ways. And that kind of starts to become really clear when you work with people in product who don't have those traditional backgrounds and it's just as effective mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If, in some ways more. And in other ways, you know, they know when to ask for help again, like, but you know, it's, it's always, I think that was a really key understanding for me too, both in who I like to work with. But also in understanding that my skill set had a place at the table, even if I didn't have a traditional computer science or engineering, or you know, I don't have an MBA. Um, it was, yeah, it was a really big learning for me. I think
0: one hundred percent. And you hit the nail on the head. What I was thinking just then is those people with the MBA—they also do belong at the table. But totally. it's really, really important to have the balance of those other people yeah. that have the background and the skill set of thinking differently. Because not saying that everybody thinks the same if they have an MBA, but they're taught to th- think a certain way about a business problem. So totally. if you're coming in in a different angle and having all of those people in a room, it only get you farther.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think you, when you think about those skill sets too, they're highly valuable, but an MBA isn't the only way to get that either. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people lose sight of that sometimes as well and realize, you know, and realizing a lot of your MBA is, again, that pattern matching, critical thinking, putting frames around ambiguity an MBA is not the only way to get that. And so I think anyone who thinks that that's the key, it can be, but it takes a lot more than just an MBA as well. And so I always think about it kind of from that lens of like, what could have built those critical thinking skills? What could have built that strategy? You know, is that so many different skill sets are really highly applicable in terms of, you know, social work and customer service and people who've made these transitions where you're able to translate what a customer wants into mm-hmm. the key objective. And that's not That's sometimes I think very hard when you think in zeros and ones in computer science and coding languages because you're so far removed sometimes
0: from customers. Mm -hmm. Very astute, very, that's awesome. And it it makes a lot of sense in like being able to think broadly and then think very specifically. Um, All of those really led to that. Uh, So you did, you overcame that criticism, which is awesome. (laughs) Well, I mean, overcoming. Maybe you're in the process. Yeah, exactly. That's why we're here. This is therapy, actually. Everybody, welcome. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of HIPAA violations going on right now. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Um, What was it then that set you on the path to chase them? Like, even despite all of these naysayers, you did say, like, in the fire under your ass, but did you ever have, like, a hard conversation with any of them where you had to say, I do belong here?
1: You know, I think I was told relatively recently I took a new role and it it's a more senior role than I've ever been in before, right? I It's on it's at an executive level at a startup. And I had someone say, well, do you really think you can do that? And my response turned into, I don't know. I have no idea if I can do that. I've never done it. But who do you think could and why? Mm-hmm. And let, let's figure out what, like, because that, that's not an ex- that's not a compelling, and I don't think they meant it in a negative way, but yeah. it was kind of just like a, hey, do you feel like you believe in yourself? And, you know, I projected that to say you're not qualified. I don't think that was their intention, but that's how I read it, right? You know, you, you fit in that slightly negative mental model and just pattern matches and boom, that's where your head goes. But <laughs> I started, I had that moment where I said, hey, who would be qualified? And they didn't have an answer. And I was like, they're, besides like, well, someone who's done it. And I was like, well, what what happened their first time they did it? Where they qualified then? And that's kind of, it was this weird shift in my head. And I think I just started to realize that no one knows what they're doing. <laughs> and, yeah. like I, and, I, and that's the sad reality in some ways, but also the really comforting reality is yeah. that every single person feels that way. And it's just a question of how much you let on to, that to others. And I think like the most people I'm drawn to are not the people who tell me I'm so qualified. I can crush anything that comes my way, but they're actually the people who say, wow, what an interesting question. I actually don't know. Let's figure out who we should talk to who has that expertise. That's who I like to learn from. That's who I want to work with. That's who I, who I want to be around in environments. And I think that just becomes so key when trying to say like, who's qualified? Well, it's the people who, who know they're not in yeah. some ways and who know when to ask for that help and say, I'm out of my element. I'm out of my depth. I've never done this. Here's how I would think about it. Have you done this? No, you either. Great. Let's try someone else. And I think that's where you get to those productive conversations, but you know, I think it, you just, you have to try. And I think the worst thing I ask myself is I ask myself all the time. Have you ever not made it through a day? And whenever I am so stressed and the answer is no,
0: Yeah.
1: I've always made it. I've always (laughs) made it. And you know, you get to the end of the day and some of those are better than others. And some of them are more positive and you feel like you did a better job that day or however you, you know, value that scale for yourself you know whether it's how you're showing up personally or professionally or but you always get another shot and you always you always got to try even if you're not if you're saying hey i'm not going to get my effort into that you're trying you're just trying to do it differently (laughs) right exactly always trying so why not try something that you're excited by and that i've always leaned into discomfort and that i think is and beneficial in some ways.
0: <laughs> oh, that's a huge skill in itself is leading into discomfort. It's not easy to do because it's uncomfortable by definition.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> the, no, no one likes it. <laughs> <laughs> nobody likes it. But that other side of ego is what people do like, right? Like I don't like going into a room with somebody that does think that they know exactly what needs to be done for this one product move or exactly how to think about something. And they talk over people in just their, you know, aura but I love being at the table with somebody who's like, eh, we could throw this at the wall. You know, I don't know. I've never done that, but uh, this mm-hmm. is why I think it might work. And, you know, obviously it's balanced with data, usually kind of a little bit. Hopefully, so yeah. <laughs> hopefully, <laughs> so it's, it's so much more fun to collaborate with somebody in my experience, which is not that much. I haven't been, you know, in my career too long, but it's better, you know, put oh, your totally. ego aside, leave it at the door.
1: Ask I like I hope people always, you know, it's like ask questions. Mm-hmm. Just ask questions. If you don't know, ask questions. I think a lot of people are really uncomfortable to say, I don't know. So just ask a question instead. I, I always look for that. And when you know you're interviewing someone or when you're interviewing, ask questions. I there's never a right answer to a lot of things. And so just like figure out how you solve it and show that. And like it's the same thing when you're going into those meetings, right? Where you have those people who are who want to either try to explain everything to you because they think they know can ask dumb questions too, but it's it's even when you don't feel like, you know, just ask questions and you learn so much just from that, that I think th- that's the type of skill that I value so much in there and that I at least try to bring to the table when, you know, moving in new spaces.
0: Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about those qualifications on paper then. If you're hiring somebody or even if you're applying for a job, obviously your background probably won't match up. A lot of people's background exactly won't match up with the qualifications required, quote unquote, for the job. Yep. How would you sell yourself on paper and in that vein, what do qualifications even mean to you?
1: <laughs> yeah, it's such a good question because it's it's something I think a lot of people struggle with is like how do you both narrow down a field of individuals to say everybody wants that job? but you know it is it is a hard type of job, but if there isn't a single set of qualifications. I think you have to go through those kinds of things, and especially you know, as you're thinking about what you hire for and you say, What does that actually mean? What does that lead to? Like, if I'm asking for, you know, this requirement, what am I actually saying no to? It's like the same thing you do in product, I think about it with a JD, where you're like, what's that trade-off? I put that as a requirement. Who's actually saying, no, I'm not going to apply for that? Is that having a disproportionate impact on the types of, you know, candidates and the diversity we want actually to see Mm -hmm. and get more involved in tech? And how much do those those qualifications just stop people from raising their hands? Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that's something I've always really thought pretty... That no one has done a great job of solving for that, unfortunately. And I think um, so. I think you have to cast a wider net and be open to more candidates and ask yourself, you know, those things like, "Hey, must have a bachelor's degree? Why?" I, I why? always wonder that. Like, absolutely, why do you need a bachelor's degree to do the things like that? People say, "Hey," is it, and it's just these these qualifications that feel like arbitrary humps people have to jump over that I don't quite understand how they map to a skill set. And in some cases they do, right? If you need a licensing or, you know, a certain graduate education, because that's the key to licensing. Sure. That's a qualification that you really can't overcome, but that's not the case for so many things. I think it's like creative, creativity, you know, the ability to just think about things differently is a skill set that is really hard to put into a qualification on paper. And I think, um, you have to find a way to, I don't have a good answer in terms of how you do it beyond try talking to different people, calibrate, see if you're able to find value in, you know, the, what you're, whatever you're trying to hire for plug in your organization or whatever role you're looking for. Like, can you look beyond the qualifications and say, what do they actually need? What everyone, every job is plugging a gap in an organization, right? They're trying to fill something. And why do you think you could fill that? Well, sure. If you have the qualifications, great, but most people don't for the roles that they're trying and they really want. So Figure out how you could plug that hole and figure out how you can map and pattern match. And if someone can show me through an interview, and a lot of this is on, you know, hiring managers to make sure you give people shots that may be non-traditional, but if someone can show me how their experience maps to the problems I'm solving, if, it doesn't matter the discipline to me. It matters what they can do in terms of, you know, you need some revs, you need some depths. There's a there's a level of understanding of a business, you know, to be a successful product manager. I do think you need you need. But I'm I'm not talking about 10 years of deep business thinking that is the only way to get there like that is not at all life experience matters a lot other other fields and so when i always think about that that's what i think about in trying to sell myself and trying to say hey i'm going to just shoot a message to someone i think a lot of times people either see qualifications and say i'm not qualified for that and run away from that mm-hmm. and it's understandable and you know something i think i say a lot to folks who work for me i like to say to them hey Whenever people are feeling, you know, insecure or not confident in what they want to go after, or, you know, advocate for themselves, I like to say, and you know, you might, maybe you have to edit this out, but what what does a white straight male do? And I say, what would they do in that situation?
0: Yeah, I'm not editing that out. It's so true. I mean, I just say the key, that to myself. They're doing it. Yeah, they're doing
1: it. Yeah, and it's it's that's the thing that I think a lot of people don't realize yeah. is that you get in your own head, you start to say, I'm not qualified for that role. And there is somebody out there saying, I'm not qualified for that role. And I'm going for it. I'm asking for what I think I'm I'm valued at. Because, you know, a lot of times society has told them they can. And a lot of others of us, they said no, you know, for whatever reason, you know, and everybody has their own degree of privilege there. But it's also a question of like, just saying, well, I think I believe in myself. And I'm going to ask for that. And it's not going to work a lot of the time. But that's not a reflection on me. That's, you know, a reflection on a broken system in a lot of ways. And that's Again, you just got to. I think uh, easier said than done in a lot of ways, but keep trying and keep mapping that experience, and keep asking yourself, "What would a white straight male do?" <laughs> because yeah, again, that's it's. They're getting them like that is a way to get yourself noticed. Reach out to the hiring manager. Figure out a way to say, "Hey," and it's not a "Hey, I'd love to be considered," but it's a "Hey, I'd love to be considered." Here's why I'm sensing this, these are key things you're trying to solve with your organization. While my, and don't necessarily even sh- sell yourself short. Like while my experience may not, no, just say my experience actually maps really wonderfully to this. I find so many times people say while my experience doesn't match this perfectly. And it's like, don't prime it, don't prime it away. It no, does.
0: Then you're, you does. They're going to get that thought in their head. And they're like, oh, I need yeah. to look for why. Yeah,
1: totally. And then yeah. you're like, and cause everybody, again they're just trying to figure out and pattern match would this work? Is yeah. this the right fit? Show me why. That's what I do, I say, here's why I think I'd be great for what you want to do, yeah. and here's why I think I could solve that. No, I don't have any of your traditional qualifications,
0: but stuff it. Let's
1: keep talking <laughs>
0: <laughs> and read my resume. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly, exactly.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I tell that to myself way more often than any, you know. Non-white straight male should <laughs> yeah. that I'm like okay, what would my my boyfriend do in this situation, right? Because he and mm. I think so differently in terms of even like very simple anxiety things. He's like, yeah, like no, I just like told them what I felt. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, you did what? How? How? <laughs>
1: you can. And you do didn't that? obsess
0: yeah. an hour afterwards. Yeah, how what did you, you upset them? <laughs> <laughs> what anxiety meds are you on? Mm-hmm be able to just do that Absolutely. yeah <laughs> and it's such good advice just just do and not it.
1: you know yeah and it's like not out here trying to say bring that to every aspect of your life like please don't start asking yourself that constantly <laughs> but <laughs> but when it comes to advocating for yourself and finding a job professionally and that's what you're up against that's mm-hmm. what the world is out there doing and and it's uncomfortable and anyone who needs a pep talk, let me know. And I'll give you that pep talk because everybody has a seat at the table and it's just a question of how you get, how you get there. And it's a lot harder for a lot of people. And that's so unfair. And so how do you kind of break through? Sometimes you try and hopefully, you know, it's hard. Sometimes you try and
0: hopefully it's hard. Love it. Yeah. Love it. Scream <laughs> it. Scream it from the rooftop. Scream so it. Hear it. Yeah. <laughs> so do you, do you feel then that your direction to product at Rover helped in getting product, you know positions at other companies? I assume yes because we've been talking about that. but really, and this is kind of a loaded question, would you advocate for moving into a desired title or role at your current company rather than applying for the role at another company? And switching, like you know, uh, rather than the lateral move, trying to get a promotion elsewhere rather than getting a promotion at your current company and then moving out. There's strategy to that, obviously, without which, whatever way you want to go. But yeah. do you find one more advantageous than the other?
1: Yeah. So definitely yes. I think that I benefited a ton from moving into product in terms of my ability to kind of pitch that skill set. Yeah. Both at Rover and elsewhere, and you know, in terms of. I think a lot of it depends on the organization you're at and kind of the company you're working at. I find I ask the question a lot when talking to a new organization, you know, buy out for whatever reason you're talking to them. But are you who makes the ultimate strategic call? Are you run by product? Are you run by marketing? Are you run by Mm. sales? Because it's very rare that someone tells you "Mm, all three. Or, you know, everybody's got uh, equal seat. There's usually someone who is running point on the strategic calls of the business that have the largest impact on strategy. Mm-hmm. And it very much differs. There's no one formula. There's other, you know, models there too. But at Rover, it was product a lot of the time, I think. I think they, marketing had a lot of say on the table, but I kind of realized that I was working in marketing and realized that the decisions that I wanted to be making were happening in other parts of the business for me.
0: Yeah, I mean not to name names but products were the product people were gods at rover.
1: Totally. 100%. And I actually was very uncomfortable by that and I I was really scared to go into product. Mm-hmm. Because I was worried that I didn't fit the mold. I didn't I thought engineers were going to think I was an idiot <laughs> because I had no technical mm-hmm. training and you know was out here teaching myself SQL but like had no way to back that up and I was really afraid and I had a really insightful conversation with someone who just told me, "You know, The bulk of product management is the ability to translate customer pain points and the ability to translate customer feedback into action. That's not a technical skill. That's a skill that is critical thinking and distillation. And and it took me like a year to actually believe that. (laughs) But yeah, maybe I could go work in product. But I think a lot of that depends on what is happening in your organization. And I think you can get a read pretty quickly as to where, you know, who is making the call that you want to make? And if that is in your organization where you are great. And if it's not called product manager, fine. Pitch yourself, Rebrand yourself how you need to to go get that next job. But it's about what skill set you're getting and what you're learning, I think. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you know, I every every company is different, right? A product manager is very different at certain companies than it is at others. And so there's no one title fits all. So I think so much is of it is about, you know you often notice product manager or product roles product specialist whatever whatever that role is it the qualifications you know <laughs> to touch back on this not that they're right but a lot of times i think they are broader than i used to see
0: yeah. they used
1: to say purely just product and now i see a lot product computer science <laughs> shocker but it's like marketing right product marketing yeah. i've seen things on like cognitive science and like there's a lot broader of an understanding are we there yet fully? No, absolutely not. But I think that that you're seeing a bit of that. And so I think people are able to match those career paths, but a lot of it is how you draw those parallels. If you can show how you PM'd your marketing roadmap, that's really compelling because you're ultimately making hard prioritization decisions. You're ultimately saying, hey, there's an ambiguity here that I'm trying to put some framing around. Great, I think that person probably has a really critical and vital role to play in a product organization versus if you're you know, at other companies, that's not how they run in marketing. And at that point, maybe say, hey, how could I either bring that to my role today or do I need to transition into that, you know, apply for that role internally? But either way, if you're going to go to that new function and it's not how it's happening in your org, you're going to have to pitch yourself on why you can do the new function, right? In product, why, why can you bring that strategic framing? Why can you handle ambiguity? So I think there's a lot of opportunity to PM a lot of everyday work for people. <laughs> mm-hmm. And once you realize what you're doing, you say, huh, hmm. like I PM my life. I joke a lot, but you know, I, we, when it's like when you move, I have Precisely like us just
0: prioritize, yeah. A,
1: yeah, I make my husband say, what is a must have? What is a nice to have? And <laughs> so he's like, are you, are you PMing out where we're gonna move? And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. We're trying to get, I'm trying to get to the key overlaps here. And he's like, take, take, a, take a step back here. And I'm like, yeah, fair, fair, fair. I, hear, I heard it, I heard it. But I think it's really, there's there's a lot of ways you can do what a PM does and not be in a product role. And then the question becomes how do you kind of pitch that experience and that's a lot harder than i think a lot of then not a lot of people realize that's a terrible way of putting that i think it's a lot hard, harder than people sometimes think on the other end of that right i think people are it's like oh yeah of course just pitch your experience as product but think about like there's a people always ask me like what did you learn in law school and i'm like the thing that stuck with me the most is this framework and they call it IRAC. and i'm going to probably not do it justice here but it's I-R-A-C is the acronym. And what it stands for is issue, rule, analysis, conclusion. And so it's like, and I, I, I find myself using it constantly where I'm like, what problem am I solving? What's the issue? What's the historical data here? What's been done in the past? What have we tried? That's the rule, right? What's my analysis? Why does that history not apply? Why do I think the data is different? What is it telling me now? Great, what's my conclusion? What am I gonna go do differently? That is to me the key, but I didn't learn that being a product manager. And then in my product skill set, I learned that reading pages and pages of law school textbooks and being, you know, putting case cases into this framework and kind of forcing them into thinking like that. And I realized that that was actually the key to my own success in product, which, you know, I don't often see at law degrees, although maybe I'll start trying to put those on when I you know, get to post a job <laughs> like, hey, or law degree. You know, But it's, it's interesting. I think that a lot of people just, yeah, they don't it's, it's so people, I think so many people believe you have to be in product to get that product manager. And they're like, how do you do it? How do you get in? And it's like, you got to figure out a way to rebrand your experience. <laughs> you got to figure out a way to say, Hey, I can PM whatever I'm doing. And then I can bring that skill set to where I want to go in a product organization. But there's a lot of great product is not the only place people are doing intelligent, smart work. It's happening all over organizations. Oh, okay. It's just a question yeah. of how do you figure out a way to show that? you are doing that type of work as well and that would be valuable to a product organization.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, he just uh, bridged law and product. Never saw would <laughs> see that in my yeah. life. <laughs> but we are now connected. So <laughs> <laughs> like battle, apparently,
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> There you go. That's uh, it's like almost uh, therapeutic for me to hear that because I'm at the point where I would love to grow further in product and it's like, but how? but it's like, yeah, yeah, I have all of this experience from a bunch of different things. So you just have to put that. And I I usually discount it. Honestly. I'm like, I walked dogs. Like what does that have to do with anything? But has a lot.
1: So much from that. Yeah. Oh my God.
0: Yeah. Organization, uh, chaos management,
1: Uh, (laughs) (laughs) time management, management. detail, observational skills. You could, I think you can so much of what people do, you know, it's, You're using all of these skill sets in every single every single interaction that you have. It's just a question of being able to be aware of that. Yeah. How do you pitch that? So don't ever discount those skills of yourself. Yeah. Those are vital parts of what made you who you are, and they will make you into the leader that you want to be. So.
0: Man, like it's almost beautiful. I love that. (laughs) Well, if ever there was like a real opportunity, I think that was it.
1: Yeah. There you go. Right. I was like, I think that was it. It feels viral. I think that was
0: it. It does feel viral
1: what the kids call it? It is.
0: Yeah, I think so. God, I'm old. <laughs> Me too, man. Me too. <laughs> um, I would love to get further into all of these tech industry problems. So we, obviously it's great. The industry is cutting edge. There's so many cool problems that are being solved and amazing things that we didn't have before. You know, like we're saving species through technology. It's amazing. But I know through this conversation that you do feel shifts could be made in the tech industry in terms of completely ignoring people without the exact specific background, give it your MBA, give it your CS degree. And Mm. you can't make barriers to entry, like you can't crumble them all because then you wouldn't have the structure. But where is that middle ground for this should be a barrier, this should not? Do you have any thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I think a lot about what in some of those requirements, like those formal four-year educations, you know, what are those non-traditional paths that people take, especially, you know, I think in product and design and engineering, there's coding boot camps, there's design Mm -hmm. boot camps. I think a lot of people take these and that's a barrier to entry in and of itself because there's often, you know, tuition associated with that, but it's a smaller barrier than a four-year education at even, you know, a lot, a lot, there, there are opportunities that are a lot more accessible, and I think get discounted in a, in a way that is not helpful to anyone, absolutely anyone, the organizations who are putting those qualifications in place. And I think that's a small example, but I think there's also a lot of things that can be done in hiring processes. I'm a firm believer in name-blind resume review, and things like, hey, how do you, you know, how do you take out some of these things that everybody has unconscious bias, and how do you yeah. figure out ways to it's not, you can't remove it. You never will. That's that's how people think, the way they think we're all formulated by our past experience. And it's a question of how do you actually mitigate for that? How do you recognize it, call it out, and then say, hey, what can I do to recognize my own bias? And that's very hard. And I don't think anyone has solved that yet. But I also, you can't build technology without thinking about these things. Because mm-hmm. if only the people building technology are the ones with a certain viewpoint, are the ones with a certain skill set, or when you think about qualifications to getting in the door in tech it's you know the one percent it's the people who have the opportunities are the ones who are usually given these stepping stones that get them into technology and then who are they building for they're building for a very small subset because that's where the vc funding is that's where they can you know validate their investment theses and i don't have you know the the long-term solutions to some of these problems but we have to be aware of them working in this industry because i think if you if you're not you end up perpetuating them and you end up not being able to say hey for the privilege that I have like I think you, you you use that privilege to say could I unblock this for someone else Yeah, and that is always I think how this industry will change is that the more voices that we can get at the table the more products will be built for not and people won't be seen as edge cases. I think that's, you know, it's, it's really hard, I think, a lot of the time as a product manager to think about, yeah, well, the use, you know, every use case, right? And the answer becomes, though, like, when you start referring to things as edge cases, I think that's a really slippery, dangerous slope. And, you know, you have to make decisions, you have to make trade-offs. But my definition of an edge case could be influenced by where I come from, how I've been molded. And that is not always the case. And so I think when you have these these barriers that are unnecessary, I feel like I've gone off a tangent here now, right? It's about qualifications, but you know, it's yeah, and these, barriers yeah.
0: to entry. Yeah, yeah. It's just what what are
1: they serving? Why? Why? And it's like, yeah, yeah I, I, you know, I think about this a lot in terms of when you're hiring for a new role and you say, "Hey, how many years of experience do you need?" What a weird question, <laughs> right? Because whenever you look through experience, it's like, well, each experience is different. That would map in a certain way like something might be really valuable that doesn't map on paper so how do you put those qualifications i don't know yeah i think it's a really it's a really challenging one but i but i always say if you if you say anything is required in a role ask yourself why why can someone without this requirement not do this and there are reasons sometimes in you know large corporations you there's a there's leveling docs those kinds of things experience where you know there's internal equity at play for a lot of these things that i think You know, why have we gotten here? You know, Mm -hmm. it's, I don't think it's because people are saying, they're just trying to put structure on ambiguity and it's failing (laughs) and we need to fix that.
0: Uh, It's not
1: the right structure. So I think it's just what, what can each of us do? You know, I just keep asking yourself, why, why is that a requirement? That's a hard and fast requirement. And, Mm -hmm. you know, if it's not put it as preferred and, you know, if, if, if you're not sure why, just take it off. See what happens. What's the worst that happens? You get more applicants. I don't think that's a bad thing. It might be if it's inefficient to a point where you can't get anything done, but I don't see that happening a lot of the time. Like there are there are other ways, I think, to, you know, have people understand if they're qualified for the role. I think, you know, other questions you can ask, you know, hey, how would you think about this problem rather than, hey, what is this? Do you have a bachelor's degree? I think those are you can learn so much more from and there's also you know, inherent problems with some of those things as well, too. You've got to figure out a way to make those equitable and accessible to everyone. But it's also an alternative to saying, Hey, you must have a bachelor's degree. So show me how you think. Yeah. Let's, let's solve the problem. And if you can solve that problem, well, great.
0: Yeah. Then you'll probably be at least good fit in the mix. Like even, even if you don't come in perfect out the gate, everybody can learn. There are some right. soft skills that, you know, you can't necessarily teach just being a kind person maybe, but you can absolutely teach somebody how to code. You can yes. teach somebody how to use the specific software that you're using. It's yes. all trainable.
1: Totally. It totally.
0: grinds my gears it's so got much. That. Yeah. So much. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it's like these it's requirements like, are bogus.
1: <laughs> well, and I look at it like, I think a lot of those requirements often say required. And I just say willingness to learn this. Like yeah. That's what I put in. That's what I've tried putting in some things. And it's, it is hard too, because then sometimes you're getting candidates where you're like, Hey, I would like someone who has, you know, thought about these problems for, for a couple of years, right. That kind of thing. Or like thought about problems, not these problems. That's a bad way of putting that, but thought about, you know, tough critical problems. And so I think it's like, how do you get, I want some experience, right. I, I, I want someone who's thought about things deeply. And a lot of times that can be life experience too. And it's like, I don't know what that right answer is on qualifications, but I think you got to try some things out and if they're not working for your candidates, well, ask yourself why, and are you actually looking and screening for the right things? And are there other creative ways for you to do that that might not stop so many people who could be really well qualified?
0: Yeah. And advocate internally too, if you're not hiring yourself or creating the resumes, if you are seeing that, uh, maybe you're even like referring people that you know are very qualified because you've worked with them and they might not even get a phone interview for something that They are pretty damn qualified, but they're not perfect. Then advocate internally for them, you know, and say, "Why does it have to be this way? Have you thought about just giving people a shot via a phone chat?" You know, have them think critically through something that would matter directly in the role, rather than an ambiguous uh, resume issue, right?
1: Totally. Totally, and I think it comes back to ask questions. Yeah. us why? Why do you think it's like? why yeah. is that requirement there? What do you think would happen if that requirement weren't there? What's your fear? What do you, you know, you can start to learn and I think that helps figure out how you can advocate too, right? Because someone probably thought about that and if they didn't, they might be like, oh, great, let's scrap that. Or they may have a rationale and a reasoning. And then, but you can always question that. always you know, just yeah. ask them for a little bit more context or a little bit more explanation or push on a little thing that you don't agree with and you'd be surprised, I think, how many people are like, huh.
0: I didn't think of it that way.
1: I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if that is required. Maybe yeah. we should put that as preferred, which is a great first step, I think, for a lot of people. Yeah, it's not ideal. Yeah, you know, but <laughs>
0: <laughs> but like moving it to a different section in totally. the JD, that's that's good.
1: Yeah. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Well, you got to start somewhere. We'll take a small win and
0: that's, yeah. yeah. Can I copy and paste it rather than delete? Okay. (laughs) Let's move that here. (laughs) Not required. (laughs) Um, Did you have any mentors then uh, making your way? You did mention that you, you leaned on a couple of people. Are there a couple of people that you can think of that were like, they were just totally,
1: totally. My first role consulting I had, um, I had a mentor there who has just stuck with me for my life. She actually, you know, she, she left consulting and got a theology degree at, you know, later on in her career and totally random. And, but it just always, she was just this person who was constantly fascinated and wanted to learn. She Mm -hmm. always wanted to learn. And she was a partner at, you know, a major consulting firm, but her excitement about learning new things just stuck with me. And I remember asking there was one piece of advice you wish you knew when you were younger and you wish you were because i was way very very young at the time and i was like hey i'm about to go you know embark on a career i'm about to go try to do all these things i was you know ambitious and i had you know a little bit of time where i was like hey what would you say like what would what would you want to do and she was just like if you're not learning get out from wherever you are Mm -hmm. never stay in a place where you're not learning and discomfort is something that will serve you well if you feel comfortable you've probably stuck around for too long Mm -hmm. because that's not where you're actually expanding and growing. And it's, I mean, clear. It's something I think about all the time. Like I've run to discomfort because I've said, Hey, I think that's the right thing for if I want to, you know, and I don't even know what I want to go do. Right. (laughs) You're It's like, what is that next level? I don't know. I just want to keep learning. I'm curious. Yeah. 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 I just want to be stretched and I want to be challenged. And I think that really stuck with me um, and always really has. And I think, um, you know, I, I gravitate also to, senior female leaders, I find that, um, I don't know, there's something for me. I think I grew up with a mom who worked in marketing and you know was always just so amazed, empowered. And I think she always told me like, don't ever think of who you are as something to hold you back, like you mm-hmm. could do whatever you want. And I think in some ways that just always stuck with me in a way where female leaders, I thought were able to weigh on that. And then I had another mentor who told me, it's all about perception, it's all about perception. And, you know, that has stuck with me a lot, too, because I think she was like, nobody knows or feels good about everything that they do, but people perceive them a lot of the times. And all of a sudden, everybody just assumes. Mm-hmm. And she was like, that's not what's going on in anyone's mind. And it always and, you know, she was she's a mentor of mine from totally different career paths when I was considering cognitive studies. And she was just like, but never lose sight of that and never lose sight of the fact that everybody is just perceiving what you think is going on in that person's brain, what you think they know, what you think they're trying to do. You don't actually know and you never will. And you've got to be okay with that. But you've also got to realize that we're all just trying to make do based on perception yep. and perception is not always reality. And when you conflate those two, you go farther and farther away from like what's actually happening. And so I think those, those two things have always been like, search for discomfort, you No. Know, <laughs> always learn I guess these are three things learning how to count on this as well and but there's just like you're great at what you do that be nice yeah exactly you know like I'm training in not numbers apparently <laughs> um but yeah it's I think it's like just never lose sight of the fact that it's all just perception of what you think is happening in someone else's brain you have no idea yeah and we're all just trying to make do and and I and it's it's it, to me, that actually, you know, I think some, some people could hear that and say, you know, a oh, whole perception, you know, you gotta, you know, put out, take it till you make it. And it's, that's the opposite way of what I read it. I just kind of, am like, it's my perception. And like, the more authentic I can be. And it's not about putting on a show. It's about kind of saying, hey, I don't know. Hey, that's a really hard question. Gosh. Oh yeah. I'm not qualified according to those required qualifications, but like, Maybe they could perceive me a little bit differently. If I just share what I believe, what I think I've found in terms of pattern matching, and I was like, great, how do you shift that perception? Well, you ask, why are those qualifications there in the first place? Mm-hmm. Here's what I could do for you, or here's what here's what problems I think I could solve. Here's what gets me excited and motivated. And then from there, I think you can, you know, fireworks hopefully ensue, because you can start to realize, hey, they can see that passion, that excitement. And um, yeah, those are two, two mentors who I truly, I don't think I will ever...
0: Love that. Ever,
1: yeah, lose sight of that advice. and silence.
0: Yeah, excellent, excellent advice, life advice, even. Just oh, totally. Completely life advice, and makes you want to go into every meeting room and like write on the whiteboard for just monkeys on a floating rock. <laughs> like <laughs> that's all we are, and we're all just right? trying to make it. Like, yes. Let's oh just. Oh my gosh, yes. Give each other some grace and time and critical thinking. Totally. You know,
1: we're all just trying to learn. I yeah. was trying to like understand things better and no one gets everything. And so like, no. don't beat anyone up for it. It's just, you know, figure out how we can each make each other better. And the world will be a lot.
0: Exactly. Place. And surround yourself with people that inspire you. Surround yourself with people that are smarter than you. Um, mm-hmm. and yes. like I am never the smartest person in the room. Sometimes you never be. it's intimidating, but other t- most of the time I'm like, yes, I'm learning so yeah. much. Totally. Yeah. Totally.
1: Learn That's from the whole everybody. thing. It's like right? What where, where are you learning? Are you uncomfortable? And like, I think some people run from that when you're like, you know, some people really like to feel like smartest person. And it's like, why? What are you learning then? How to feel superior? <laughs> like, I, that's not, that's not one, I feel,
0: don't want that. Like I want to learn. <laughs> like, yeah, I, that's, that's, not that's not
1: fun. Be, no, so I think it's like, yeah, how do you, yeah.
0: Yeah. That's all of that is like so amazing to end on really amazing to end on if there is any last words of advice though that you didn't cover because like you're you're just like chock full of inspiration you're like a walking uh one of those lot, yeah. yeah no no, no <laughs>
1: Morty, morty. <laughs> get that feedback a lot
0: well you know i'll, I'll send you your report card after this yeah, and please, please we can we can talk but <laughs> anything else that you want to you want to tell the listeners
1: no i just think like believe in yourself you you've gotten where you are you've always made it through every day so if you ever start to doubt yourself ask yourself if you're never not yeah because that's how you got here so it's gonna yeah. keep you, you gotta keep trying tough things so it's the only way you learn so,
0: yeah you gotta toughen up a
1: broken record at this point but <laughs>
0: <laughs> toughen up Failure's is uh, failure is gonna happen it's inevitable yeah. um oh, lead I'll, into I'll leave it with
1: this yeah this. I, I had a boss one time give me a book that was failure is not an option that was and the book title that was the book title yeah it, it was like really 20 days into point. a role yeah right it was like rip the band-aid off yeah and you know it was and it was it's a book about um a spaceship that you know i i'm gonna totally butcher exactly what it was i i think i read the first 50 pages because i got overwhelmed and i was like that's not a great message but <laughs> it, you know it was, it was about you know how failure really wasn't an option because there were people's lives at risk in this situation but it was all about kind of how do you how do you think and how do you reframe and it's like well no In a lot of cases, what it taught me was that, you know, my 50 pages of reading it. But failure is an option. And it's just how do you adapt. How do you learn from that? And it's like, just keep believing yourself that you can adapt because you always have. So how can you keep going? Failure is always an option. But it is up to you to determine if you want to see it as a failure or as a learning opportunity.
0: I I love it.
1: I say that not having, you know, astronauts' lives at risk. (laughs) <laughs> on a spaceship that I'm controlling. So you know it's a whole other thing. But I think it's you know applicable in terms of like, yeah, failure is for sure an option. It's every single person that's failed. They just, you know, might talk about it a little bit differently. Or or they they, they see it as learning.
0: Yeah. So what you're saying is NASA is next for you. And that's gonna yeah. be like your cover letter. Guys, failure yeah, is totally an option.
1: It. I'm not qualified. And here's why I think failure is an option for you. <laughs> well. Hire me today. Yeah. <laughs>
0: What could go oh, your chat
1: proposal loud? Yeah, exactly. Nothing, nothing. It's like a win.
0: <laughs> oh, thank you so much for being here, Richard. It oh, was yikes. an it was absolute so pleasure.
1: Yeah, this was this was wonderful. It was uh, always fun to chat. Thank you for having me.
0: Hi, hello, welcome to the end of the episode. This episode transcended time. This was a really special episode. I felt so energized from it, if I may, it might be one of the better ones out there right now that we've had on this show because of so many things. But Richard offers some amazing advice to build yourself up and believe in yourself and Understand how to pitch yourself. Understand your worthiness. Understand who to go to for mentorship. Understand that if you really want something, then go for it. If you don't know what to say, if you don't know the answer, ask questions. Say you'll find out the answer. Offer to do awesome work that you might not even feel like you're fully qualified for yet, but jump head first. Just jump head first. If you want to do the damn thing and you're really afraid to do the damn thing, I would love to hear about it. If you did it and, you know, sometimes it went okay, but you still killed it. Other times you felt like a serious imposter and you didn't belong in the room with the other people around you. Spoiler alert, nobody feels like they belong. As we said, you do belong, but I'd love to hear it. I would love to hear about your experiences. And we read it on the last episode of the month. And fun for October, the last episode of the season will be on the last Tuesday of the month this month. So that's going to be a fun way to end the season. And I would love to read your stories in your emails, so please send them in. Ynqpod at gmail.com. Yn is a Nancy Qpod at gmail.com. All right, so all of this talk about in the beginning about Richard taking the bar because he wanted to have something to fall back on. Yes, and he also felt like he had spent all of this time. And I understand that feeling. It's like putting your experience in school. Law school, be it business school, be it just your bachelor's in a box and tying it up with a bow, a big test at the end, just do it, right? I was shocked that he just did it. I have never taken the bar. I thought about going to law school for a split moment in time, toured a couple, realized that I don't think law was going to be for me and didn't pursue it. But I could not imagine, I could not imagine sitting down and studying for a test like the bar. I was really curious about some t- statistics around this, this said bar, bar test. So, in the year of 2020, according to Google, 60,784 people took the bar exam. 60,000, almost 61,000 people in 2020 took the bar exam with an overall pass rate of 61%. That's higher than I thought it was because I know that that test is very difficult. I don't know what makes it difficult. I don't know if it's one of those tests, kind of like the SAT, where you have to just learn how to take that test and it's not innately difficult with the material. It's just difficult because you need to understand how to take it. It, I wonder if it's similar, but I know it's very difficult. Sixty one percent. heckin Yowza. Yowza Yowza. So I guess another piece of advice maybe. If you're looking to practice law, awesome. Good on you. Seriously, I can't do it. I I know that this goes against everything that I and the guests uh basically try to drill into your brain on this podcast, but I don't think I'm smart enough to be a lawyer. I don't argue that well. I also sometimes cry if I get really overwhelmed, and I feel like overcoming that would be very difficult for me. I just don't like confrontation. But then again, if I get really fired up, I love being right. Uh, I know that <laughs> Ashley Heseltine from the Girls Gotta Eat podcast has said that her love language is being right, and I feel that deep in my bones. My love language also, one of them, is being right. I love it. But man, if I'm not right and like everybody knows it and then I lose people money because of it because I don't do everything right and I'm not right, I just couldn't stomach it. I couldn't do it. Anyways, off off my soapbox. You know, <laughs> we don't need to talk about me anymore. Friends, I will see you next Thursday and I hope you have a great weekend. Okay, bye.